0: Well, it's my pleasure to be here and open the word for us this morning. Last week, Pastor Steve started us off on the Advent series, The Light Has Come. And he read an earlier part of that same first chapter of John. And then he and his family did the snowbird thing, so the Edelmans are enjoying some sun and some sand and family time and and we pray some rest as well so i'm brian i'm on the board here and i have the opportunity to open the word for us this morning dale already read the passage out of john let's just pray again before we go into it father you may thank you for your word we thank you for your spirit who's here to teach us and we dedicate ourselves to that in jesus name amen so let's take a look at that passage again i just want to Underline the middle part, he gave the right to become children of God. Now, often when we talk about the whole human race, we say we're all children of God. We're all descendants of those he created. But it seems that in terms of Jesus, there's something different. He's making a different kind of relationship, not just descendants, but something else. The true light, which gives light to everyone, was coming into the world. There was a time when Germany was invading England. Might not be the time that first comes to mind. This was in the 1600s and 1700s. And it was okay because (laughs) the British asked them to. They brought over a German king to be King George I. And... With King George came a lot of Germans who changed British culture. And there was sort of this ongoing invasion from Germany as well. And one of the most famous of those people, his name is George Friedrich Handel. And we think of him this time of year especially because he wrote The Messiah. We hear it sung often at Christmas, more often at Easter because it really tells the whole story of Jesus. His birth, his death, his resurrection. But we still hear some of those parts of it around this time here. And I love Herodot. There's lots of versions you can get online. There's a soul version and a reggae version and a pop version. It's that famous a piece of music. But when we say that Handel wrote the Messiah, he only wrote the music. There was a guy that he worked with, an English guy, Charles Jennings. And Charles had worked with him a few times. They had co-written stuff. Charles had helped with the music. And mostly he wrote the lyrics, the, the libretto. And he had written this libretto that he thought was important because Charles was a man of faith. And one of the other things happening in England and in Europe at the time was this idea of deism was on the rise. And deism is the idea that God started everything, he created everything, and then he took a nap. And so our job is to just maintain stuff. But, they said, God's not really here. He's not personal. He might be some kind of force. We pray and worship for our own benefit. But he's not really with us. And that bothered Because he believed God was present and God was personal. And so he wanted to write this this piece of music that would remind people of that. But he realized the best words weren't words that he could come up with. He went straight into the Bible, the King James Bible. And he started looking through for passages that would proclaim this idea that Jesus was the Messiah who was promised. And that he came and walked among people And he sent his spirit so that he is with us today. He is a personal God. Not just an idea or a a, a nameless force, but he's here among us. This was the passion that Jennings had. And so he put these verses together. And like he had done with other pieces, he sent it off to Handel and said, what can you do with this? Handel put it on the shelf for a while. And then he finally took it out and thought, hmm, that's not bad. And it's the first time that Handel didn't rewrite some of it. Out of respect to Jennings, but also he didn't think he could rewrite God's word. And so all the lyrics to the Messiah are right out of the Bible. But what's interesting is when we think that Jennings wanted to write about the whole life of Christ, you'd, you'd think he spent spend most of the time in the Gospels. Most of the words from Handel's Messiah are from the book of Isaiah. Isaiah was amazing. And this morning we're going to look through the gospel of Isaiah because he says so much about the Messiah. He says so much about God's hope. In fact, his name, Isaiah, Yeshayahu, sounds a lot like Jesus' name, Yeshua. Now, they might call you Bill or they might call you Billy or Will or Wilhelm, but it's all the same name, right? It's just a different way of saying it. It's an old German name. It means Will, your strength, your power, your force, and Helm, helmet, defense, the great defender. But you could be Bill or Willie or William. We know his name is Jesus, but we know that that's an English version of a European version of a Latin version of a Greek version, but his name, what his family called him was Yeshua. And it means the salvation of the Lord, the salvation of Hashem. Isaiah, it's really the same name, Yeshiyahu. If you say it fast, you can't tell the difference. There's another guy in the Old Testament, Joshua, Yeshua. It's the same word. It's the same name. Another one's kind of close, Hosea. That's, that's similar, but that's a cry. Save us, Lord. So really, when we look at the book of Isaiah, it, it, we could call it the gospel of Jesus. Because it was. But Isaiah had some amazing, amazing visions of God. We're going to start in chapter 2, verses 4 and 5. See, Dale, I'm lazing it too. I haven't had a birthday years, though. <sighs> Isaiah 2, verse 4. He shall judge between the nations and shall decide disputes for many peoples, and they shall fear sorry they shall bear their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. Nations shall not lift up sword against nation, neither shall they learn war anymore. O house of Jacob, come, let us walk in the light of the Lord it's kind of nice, isn't it? Very poetic and pretty. No. You see, the thing about Isaiah, he was writing at a time when the world was falling apart. For a long time now, Israel had been split into two, north and south. The north was usually called Israel, and the south was usually called Judah. And they had had civil wars raging on and on and on, and God had sent prophets to remind people to get back to God. Man, they didn't. In Isaiah's time, the end was beginning. The armies of Assyria were starting to sweep in from the north. Now, Israel had had wars before, had fought a few battles. This was different. This was destruction. And the Assyrians were coming in from the north, and they ended up just destroying the cities. They are feared, and you can read some of the atrocities they did. Their army was known as one of the most destructive and inhumane. That's what was happening in Isaiah's day. And so for him to say something like, he will judge the nations, even Assyria, And he will decide disputes between people, us and them. They shall beat their swords into plowshares and their spears into pruning hooks. What a hope is that when your country is being invaded and destroyed and your relatives are disappearing. But then Isaiah says, oh, oh, house of Jacob, come. Let us walk in the light of the Lord. Forget the destruction that's happening. Seek God. Now it's beginning to look and sound a lot like Christmas and a lot of people are getting excited, especially some of the shorter people. Because there's great stuff happening and and we love it and we have great memories. We also know it's also the hardest time of year for some people. They may have lost loved ones or maybe their loved ones live so far away that they will not be visited. For some people it's really hard. It feels like your world has fallen apart. You've been attacked. Walk in the light of the Lord. Rest in the light of the Lord. Well, this idea of light is going to go throughout the writings of Isaiah. Let's look at chapter 9. And in this one, if you haven't read Isaiah, you already know some of it. Chapter 9... There will be no gloom for her who is in anguish. Israel was in anguish. In the former time, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun, the land of Naphtali. But in the latter time, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the land beyond the Jordan, Galilee of the nations. Again, eh. what's that all about? Well, let's take a look at this map. We borrowed that online from freebiblestuff.com, or I forget the exact name of it, but it's there in the corner. We appreciate them making those available. But there you have the land of Israel. On the left, the big blue thing is the Mediterranean. The bottom, the bigger, that's the Dead Sea. And then up, the sort of second largest there is the Sea of Galilee. And between the Sea of Galilee and the Dead Sea is the Jordan River. A source of life for thousands of years. But if you get above the Sea of Galilee, the the rivers are smaller. It's the headwaters. In the former times, he brought into contempt the land of Zebulun and the land of Naphtali. You know where those tribes lived? Just to the north and west of Galilee. In Isaiah's day, they were the first places attacked by the Assyrians. The first places destroyed. The first places where relatives disappeared. It was terrible for them. But in the latter day, he has made glorious the way of the sea, the way up by Galilee where those Assyrian armies are just coming down, the land beyond the Jordan. Usually when it talks about beyond the Jordan, it means to the east, you know, Babylon or or, or Persia. But this time he's talking about beyond the Jordan to the north, beyond the headwaters of the Jordan. That's where the Assyrians were coming from. And what is he saying? He's saying right now it is atrocious. But that's where your hope will come from. And if you recognize that verse, you may remember it from the New Testament where it's quoted. In Galilee of the nations or Galilee of the Gentiles, We use that term as a good thing now. In those days, it was was atrocious. It's where the Gentiles were invading. The Galilee had fallen to the Assyrians. It was atrocious. But Isaiah here in chapter 9 is saying, that's the hard spot now, but it's going to be the place of hope. Verse 2. The people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness on them has light shone. Those people in this, in the middle of this war zone, this darkness that's invaded, they're going to be the first to see the light. That's where the light will rise. This is a promise from Isaiah 500 years before Jesus was born. And if those verses are starting to sound familiar, let's jump down to verse 6. For to us a child is born. It's the same chapter. And Isaiah is saying that this area of destruction, the first to suffer, is going to be the first to have light. Because in this area around Galilee, the son is going to be born. A child will be given. And I can't read that verse without hearing Handel's Messiah. It just goes on and on. The words repeat over and over. unto us, onto us. It's, it's wonderful. You can't just sit there when you're hearing that, you know. For unto us a child is born, a person. Not an idea or a religion, a person. This is why chose chosen, made sure he repeated that phrase over and over again. He was trying to tell England and Europe and the world, it's a person that you need. God is not dead, he's not sleeping, he, he's not off with of the Edelman's in a sunny spot. He's here and now and alive. He is. That was Jenin's message to England. Let's carry on with Isaiah chapter 42, verse 6. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. Again, these are words coming to a torn people, a hurting people. I am the Lord. I have called you in righteousness. I will take you by the hand and keep you. That's a person that does that. The person comes along, takes you by the hand, and protects you. I will give you as a covenant to the people. At this point, their relationship to the people, to the Gentiles, is that they're being invaded and destroyed. But God says, Don't worry, someday it's going to turn around, and you're going to be a covenant to them for me. You're going to reach out to the nations. I'll give you as a covenant to the people a light for the nations, a light. For the Gentiles, a light for all the other humans on the planet. This is the promise to these people in their days of darkness. A light will rise, and you are going to carry it to others. And part of what God is saying here is, I have not forgotten. The promises that God made to the descendants of Abraham don't seem very close to them at that time because of everything happening in their world. But God is saying, I haven't forgotten. I am still going to use you to bless all the nations. That was his first promise to Abraham. And God was holding on to it. And in their darkest days, he was reminding them, a sun will be born, a light will rise, and you will fulfill that promise. You will take me to the nations. Again, it's a person doing this. Now, we know from the New Testament that those promises are also ours if we are grafted into the body. If we accept Jesus as our salvation. If we accept the word of God. We're grafted in and we are also part of that plan. Let's look at Isaiah 58. We're actually going to skip different parts of it. You can go back and read the whole thing later if you want. But I just want to touch on the parts that kind of deal with light. So here we go. Isaiah 58. He's given them a lot of hope. But now God's getting a bit serious. Declare to my people their transgression. Now the people are crying out. Yeah, tell us how you're going to save us. What do we have to do to get your attention so you'll save us from the Assyrians? He says, why have we fasted? No, the people say, why have we fasted? And you don't see it. Why have we humbled ourselves and you take no knowledge of it? The people are saying, we are being religious and you're not living up to your end of the deal. They're fasting. God's not answering their prayers. The Assyrian army is getting closer and closer, moving farther and farther down. The next section of 58. Behold, in the day of your fast, God says, while you're being religious, you seek your own pleasure and oppress all your workers. Behold, you fast only to quarrel and to fight and to hit with a wicked fist. Fasting like yours this day will not make your voice to be heard on high. I have to read that one over again because this time of year, when I'm supposed to be focusing on the gift of God to us and His Son, it's so easy to look around at how other people observe Christmas and 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 judge them. Eh, they're all just excuse to get drunk, <laughs> waste of money, all, all your commercialism. It's so easy. But you know what? If I do that, pretending it's a religious thing, I'm just hitting them with a big wicked fist. Anytime I'm judging others, I'm worse because I know the truth. I'm not doing it. I'm wasting my time being critical and bitter and angry. I'm supposed to be wallowing in the gift of God and God's love. So that verse I need to remind myself of. We are not here to judge. Jesus didn't come to judge the world. We're certainly not given that job. And you know what? People celebrate in different ways. For some of them, they have no idea it's connected to Jesus. It, to them, it's connected to family and love and gift giving to their loved one. Those are good things. I don't make anybody feel bad for those things. Now, if I know someone like that and I want to talk to them about Jesus, okay, good. We can, yeah. But... But just judging them is the same mistake these people were making. They were being very religious, but they didn't really care about God. They were treating him as an idea, like the deists, but they weren't taking him personally. And so he goes on and he warns them. Is not this the fast that I choose? God says you want to be religious. This is my religion. To loose the bonds of wickedness, to undo the straps of the yoke. To let the oppressed go free and to break every yoke. That's the religion God wants to see. We're working towards that here. We have freedom session and men's and women's Bible studies. We've got a great youth group. We want to help people be free. Loose the yokes that have bound them. Even some of us Christians have been tied up for so many years with pain and bitterness and lack of forgiveness even for ourselves. That's what God wants. Freedom. And then he goes on. Is it not to share your bread with the hungry? Bring the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, cover him. That's God's religion. We've got 22 hampers. We're hoping for 40. We've got that cupboard downstairs that's open. And people come there for food. That's part of it. Hamailash. Soup kitchen. On a day like this, they need hot food. We're we're part of that. And I know that many of you on your own are generous and caring. We could all improve. Even in the darkest days, even when Assyria is ripping apart the cities, Share your bread with the hungry. Bring home the homeless poor into your house. When you see the naked, you cover him. Don't worry about Assyria. You honor me. You be my light. And then he goes on. Then shall your light break forth like the dawn. And your healing shall spring up speedily. The righteous, Your righteousness will go before you. The glory of the Lord will be your rear guard. You'll glow in the dark. Then shall your light rise in the darkness. And your gloom be as the noonday. Your darkest moment will be the brightest part of the day. And the Lord will guide you continually. The light that guides. But we don't. Experience that light by fighting the Assyrians or by trying to be super religious. We experience the light by showing the character of God. By having faith in God above all circumstance. God, the person that Jennings wanted people to understand and to know. The person who is the light. And he'll guide us. He will guide us. There's a quote that's attributed to St. Francis. It's one of my favorites. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Preach the gospel at all times. Use words if necessary. Feed the hungry. Clothe the naked. Give shelter to the homeless. That's how you preach the gospel. Give a smile to the angry person in the car beside you. That's how you (laughs) preach the gospel. Thank your waitress and give her a respectable tip. Thank the people working in the stores because you support local businesses. You're not getting everything from Amazon. Did you cut me off on purpose? That's how you preach the gospel. Be the light. Don't just describe the light to people. Be the light in those darkest moments. Isaiah 60, verses 1 to 5. This is later on in the book of Isaiah. This is closer to total destruction for the northern tribes. This is where if anyone hadn't been hurt by the war before, they are being hurt now. (laughs) Isaiah says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. Seriously? It doesn't look like it. Well, then you're looking in the wrong place. For behold, darkness shall cover the earth, and thick darkness the peoples. And they all said amen, because that's what was happening. But the Lord will arise upon you, and his glory will be seen upon you. Where will everybody else see the light? On you. Last night, I was outside emptying the dog, and it was glorious. The moon was shining on the snow, and it was, you, you could turn the lights off and still see everything. Everything. It was sunshine, but I couldn't see the sun. The sun was hidden, but the sun was shining onto the moon, and the moon was shining it onto me. There are a lot of people who will never see God, but they'll see God on you. They haven't heard the gospel yet, but they've seen the gospel on you. And the light that comes from a source that they don't know is illuminating you, and you are illuminating their lives. And it's guiding you and it's guiding them. You're raising the standards for how to treat people. You're God's people. This was the promise to Israel in the darkest times. It's a promise to us every day if we are with God. Verse 4. Let your eyes all around. Lift up your eyes all around and see in the darkness. See. See. They all gather together. They come to you. Your sons shall come from afar, and your daughter shall be carried on the hip. Then you shall see and be radiant. Now, part of this promise, I love this, started in 1948 when Israel became a nation. And people from all over Asia, Europe, Africa started saying, you yeah, we're actually part of that too. They weren't Jews. They were from the northern tribes. They weren't from Judea which is where we get the term Jews, they were from areas what we refer to as the Ten Lost Tribes. They were coming out of India. One of the biggest groups came from India, and they said, are you Jews? They said, no. We have synagogues. We read Torah. We listen to Moses. We're not Jews. We're children of Abraham. We're sons of Jacob. And many of them moved to Israel. This verse is happening in our lifetimes, literally. And then you shall see and be radiant. Two things again. You shall see because you will have light. You will also be radiant. You'll provide light to others like the moon. You shall see and you will be radiant. It's a person. So this Advent season, we celebrate the light who has come. The light has come. The light that guides. But the light that guides is a person. Not an idea, a ceremony, a tradition. A person. The only thing that could have helped Israel during the days of Isaiah was a person. As it is today. Person, the Lord will rise upon you and his glory will be seen on you. The person of God himself will illuminate you. He will guide you if you follow him in his ways. And he will use you as a light. His glory will be seen on you. You'll be a glow stick in the dark, you'll be the moon in someone else's darkest night. So let's go back to John 8 for a moment. That is the part that Steve quoted to us last week, and it's really an interesting part of the story. Now, he actually said, I am the light, a few times in John, but this particular time, Steve told us was, during the Festival of Tabernacles. It was a huge festival, there was a lot of stuff going on, but one of the things that was going on was these big menorahs, huge menorahs, that they put around the temple. And they had large fires, lamps burning oil, and they would go through the night. Now remember, this is before Las Vegas and searchlights. If you're out in the dark, you're in the dark. You might see a bit of flickering from a village over there. If you're in a city, there might be a couple lights, Maybe it will see light in a window or a doorway. But it, you're never taken away by the light until the sun rises. But here at Jerusalem, the temple was made of white marble. And they put these huge menorahs around it. And it glowed. And you could see Jerusalem for miles. It looked like a flame in the darkness. And on the last day, and John tells us in chapter 7, verse 37... On the last day of the feast. On the last day of the feast is when they have a ceremony where someone climbs up and turns off those lights. And everything goes back to the way it was before, dark. Just a few dots of light. And people go, oh, I can't wait till next year. It was on that last day that Jesus stood up and said, I am the light of the world. Whoever follows me will not walk in darkness but will have the light of life in the darkest moment, at a moment of sadness. At the end of the festivities, Jesus said, I got something better. Sounded a lot like Isaiah. Let's just go quickly to the last book of Scripture. How it concludes. This is the beginning of Revelation chapter 1, verses 4 to 6. Again, we're just going to look at a few parts of it, but from Jesus Christ, the faithful witness, the firstborn of the dead. See, Jesus as the guide, Jesus as being our light, doesn't just show our path. He went there first. If you want to go into the mountains, you get a guide who's actually been in the mountains. Jesus has been there, He is our guide, He's the firstborn from the dead. He was born like one of us, and he died like we are going to, and he rose again like you've never heard of anybody else doing. He did it first. But that was to open the way for us. To him who loves us and has freed us from our sins, the person, by his blood, that's how human he was, by his blood and made us a kingdom, priest to his God, lights for God and Father him be the glory and dominion forever and ever that light will shine everywhere the dominion forever and ever we are going to join together in communion i'm going to ask the worship team to come up before we do that but as we do that we do it the first sunday of every month here as we gather together And it's a moment where we understand, once again, the crucifixion. The sacrifice that Jesus made, an amazing sacrifice. But it's part of the whole story. From the cradle to the cross. From the cross to the grave, from the grave to the sky. Lord, I lift your name on high. And then he's coming back. All of this is available to us. The light of God is provided for us when we understand his boundless love, and the best way he could demonstrate that was allowing his son to die on the cross. And so as we gather, we're going to take communion. We're going to remember the broken body and the poured out blood. We're going to thank God. As we go through this festive season, as we go through Christmas time, we know. We know what that baby did for us. We know why it's so important to know that that baby came. We are the moon in other people's darkness. We're the light of the world.